And we're on. And we're off. Take it. All right. Welcome to Our Mind on Music. <laughs> this is episode 17. Yeah. This time I'm clear on that because the last time I wasn't clear on the number. Remember, I'm never clear. On what? On anything. <laughs> but, definitely <laughs> on, but definitely not on which episode it is. <laughs> this is 17 All right. now. Um, what he said. Yeah. So this episode is the first of a series that we're doing now on songwriting and arranging. Mm-hmm. Um, that includes a lot of you guys um, on social media saw that we posted a question about wh- what was your the music that you listened to in your preteen years that you still remember that you think was influential to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I collected all that information, and that's part of what we're going to be talking about here is like inspiration motivation as a music listener and then some of us that music turned into us wanting to write songs ourselves you know um so the first this is the first episode in that series mm-hmm. we're gonna we're about to begin an interview with chris kuma chris kuma is the um, founder of a group called music teachers in international schools there are going to be links in the description for this episode for chris chris's personal website the music teachers in international schools. And the main thing that we're speaking with him about today is a project that he's just started called Beginner Orchestra, which is a, a group of of composers and teachers, music teachers, who can who have created twenty one original um, original works. Original works. And also can um, through contact with teachers, music teachers can create arrangements for multi-level ensembles. Like yeah. they're very and open. also the size too. Like he said, it, it 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 he just called it orchestra so that he could include more. But it's it's various sizes of ensembles as well. Right. And it also some some include uh, woodwinds and brass and strings. All of his arrangements have that whole range. They have beginner. They have a, so he he gets into more detail. Yeah. So we're let's go to our interview with Chris Kulma. Uh, who is speaking to us from Australia between uh, Sydney and Newcastle so Chris Kulma let's let's go to the interview hello how you doing Chris good how you guys doing good thanks good good day (laughs) I'm not sure what I should say back to that g'day there you go yeah you say it better than I do you better do it the right way (laughs) well if he's gonna do that you can do the Canadian thing how you doing eh how's it going eh how you doing eh (laughs) <laughs> about <laughs> wow so you are definitely more of a professional at this than we are you um yeah i saw your setup on the uh when you're interviewing your other guys mm. very well done what mic are you using by the way <laughs> it's um sm7b yeah sm oh sure okay wow yeah nice yeah yeah so I, i'm in my home studio and i do i don't do a lot of uh sort of live mic recording but i have done a bunch in the past so i like a 7b for most things nice so (laughs) let's start by just saying thank you for taking the time to chat with us um we've we've been looking at the stuff that you've been creating with uh music teachers in international schools and the thing that really triggered uh my interest and when i spoke to leon about i was chatting with you was the beginner or beginning orchestra project Mm. that you're doing which as a music teacher in middle school and high school myself, I just saw that I was like, oh, that is amazing. Like such a great thing for so many people, you know? Mm. So I I would love to talk about those 
programs. Um, the the sort of the arc of our series that we're starting here is about like songwriting, arranging. What are the motivations that help us to do that? So I guess a nice place to start would be if you could just tell us a little bit about your own personal experience. How did you you know get into music and how did that transition from that young bass player who wanted who was looking for bands to jam with <laughs> to being what you're doing right now? Yeah, cool. Great question. Uh, I guess it all starts with my family. So my grandfather is, uh, was a choir conductor and an organist uh, in churches, and uh, my heritage is Dutch. So he he was playing in Dutch churches and very keen musician. He would always play all the time, and that filtered through to my dad, who's a pianist and a bass player. So music was everywhere at home. And it was very much just a part of life. It was the piano was always being played. Uh, I played the piano. I did piano lessons, but I hated piano lessons. I'm one of those kind of okay. typical stories. I hated them too. Of, um, <laughs> <laughs> just one of those stories I hear quite regularly, strangely, of just, you know, young children maybe not having the best starting experience on uh, on an instrument and i'm not really sure exactly why but i do seem to remember that my piano teacher um had lots of cats i think that might have been what turned me off why <laughs> that's the first time i've heard that as a yeah as a is, reason i don't know <laughs> I, i've heard about weird. we had to practice a lot and cats. You know, what did they do yeah. those cats were they First stealing your nelly or i don't know i, were they the keys? I don't know i just don't remember liking them i was really little <laughs> maybe six or something <laughs> okay Anyway, maybe I'm making that up, but it was something like How that. long did you do that? I mean, how long did you have piano class? Under a year. Oh, okay. oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, music was always at home, and but I never really got into music after the piano thing. Um, I sang a little bit in church and stuff like that, but I was just all about playing football, soccer. Hmm. That's all I wanted to do. So I spent most of my days doing that. Um and at about 13 or 14, I picked up the bass guitar because dad had the bass guitar and I thought I'd better do something else because that what he I played was, doing was playing. Yeah, he played yeah. piano and bass. Organ piano and bass. bass. Okay. Yeah, piano, piano and bass. bass. Grandfather, organ and, and piano. And so I picked up the bass and a, a year or so later, I had a knee injury, a knee reconstruction that meant I had to stop playing soccer altogether. The dreaded meniscus. It was the ACL, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah right. right in the middle there. So had a knee reconstruction and that was my impetus to really get into music and started playing and playing and playing and, you know, hours and hours a day and just got so into it. And at the same time that my introduction to learning was really my dad playing piano and just calling the notes over his shoulder. And saying, <laughs> C, G, and, and I just have to catch up and, and jump on. That's awesome. So I, yeah. So my early learning was jamming. I just was being told what to play or I was just watching my dad's left hand. And because I had a bit of an understanding of the left hand, so interesting. where the notes that's, were, that's what's following that. that. The, the band that I played in in, in Honolulu, uh, not in Honolulu, in, in Qingdao at the Honolulu Club. So he he was the type of bass player that could do that. It was very musical, but he would just watch my, because he was on my left side. Not by Joseph. design, Joseph. Joseph, yeah. This guy Joseph, mm. Filipino bass player who's just yeah incredible. So he would pick up and 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 I would move ahead ahead of time to the to the next bass note so that he would know. So I'd be singing, doing the 
doing the uh, thing so that he knew where we were going sometimes. Yeah. Do you think, Chris, so that, I mean, so you started really loving it when you were allowed to um, jam instead of like having to sit down and go, okay, C major scale, good. Now D major, guess what's next? You know, like, yeah, that stuff a lot of times will really turn kids off. Whereas if you start with the jamming, I'm I'm posing this like a statement, but I, I would love your reaction to what I'm saying. So it's kind of a question. <laughs> mm, yeah, I like I like to give my students a lot of like, quote unquote, jam time. It's but, not, you yeah. know, I, I give them a lot of chances to play. And then once they're like, oh, my goodness, we just played in front of 400 people and we sounded awesome. And they say, OK, now next level, mm-hmm. we're going to learn exactly what you're playing and like, how do we go to the next level in terms of um relative minor you know mm. you know or or here's here's the scale that you were actually playing the whole time in that song without realizing it you know yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah so that's that's kind of i'm throwing that out there at to see like do you do you think that's some people think that's a totally backwards way to do it what you had them play a show they don't even know what scale they're playing it's a great conversation and it this is a conversation that comes up in music education pedagogy a lot right and it's it's a very popular conversation at the moment that whole formal informal non-formal learning um kind of triangle i am a i guess a proponent of as music educators we have an identity that we've developed through our experience of music we have our musical identity so if i was to be true to that then i would be almost dishonest if i didn't think it was a at least a potential avenue for music learning um i'm not going to say it's the only way or it's the way but i 100 percent agree with you it's so much fun that was what it was for me it was in the deep end it was improvising it was the pressure but it was pressure playing something so it was it was it was a very much a doing and a feeling and a connective experience um Whereas the other route, maybe that you sort of referenced of learning your scales and, and going the other direction, I think there's also obviously benefits there, but I didn't have that. And I had to go and learn all those after the fact and actually really enjoyed it. Cause I think that's what you're saying. I really enjoyed then once I played, I was like, oh, that's what I was doing. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. And it would mean a lot to me. Yeah. I didn't care about our, I learned arpeggios from the time I started piano when I was like eight years old i didn't care about them until i learned about ingve malmstein and yeah wow you know so he played mm-hmm. a lot of that's a lot of what he did you just go up and down the arpeggios here's one of my crazier things uh it's called overture it's from the album relentless it uses three string four string five string and six string arpeggios <laughs> and i was like oh that's really cool. Why can't I learn That's how to do that? And I, wait a minute, I already know how to do that. <laughs> yeah. I got a couple of things. One is your dad must have had a fair amount of confidence that you could keep up. Or he's playing really slowly. <laughs> yeah, <I don't> know. <laughs> That's a really good point. He must have. And or he just didn't really, you know, he didn't seem to care not in a uncaring way but he no, but didn't, i mean it he, didn't worry him you know it was just like yeah, if you, you get had... it you get it if you don't you don't yeah. but he saw that you had the interest a and mm. you had a, a basic ability to do the things that you were being asked to do you knew where the cor- you knew where the notes were and yeah. uh and you could take it from there the other thing i was going to say is you know not being a music educator 
uh, I was a long time ago, but uh, been out of it for a long time. And I've never been in a in a group setting or a class setting either. It's always been the ones that I've taught been one on one. But to me, it seems like the way it's approached, if it can hook in the a maximum number of people by making it relatively uh, painless to get into, and then because the pain is going to come if you're going to continue with it, you're going to have to at some point if you're going to take it seriously, you have to learn the stuff, do the scales, do all of that stuff to get great at it. But I mean, just to get people into it and maybe those ones will, will fall off. They won't pursue it or whatever, but at least you've got that, that larger base of, of uh, inquisitive minds to work with, you know? Yeah. yeah. So Chris, I guess the, the next step, cause like you've explained clearly how you started off with very formal style at a very young age, which in itself, when I think, you say the number six and I go, yeah, so you're six years old. Okay, moving on. But actually, when I look at a six-year-old and think sitting down for an hour, having them, you know, it's a long just time. rail through those scales, it's like dealing with cats. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, interestingly, it can work, right? There are plenty of kids that, sure. you know, leap at that and they they love it and or they appear to love it and can do some great things. So, yeah, that's the other another... On the other side, side of that, it. it can be done really well. So my teacher, when I started piano, when I was in Ontario at eight or nine, Ruth Lamberti was an amazing teacher because she taught me scales, but she would do like, okay, let's change up the timing. And I was like, how about this one? And I thought I was like writing songs. <laughs> I was like, so I changed the time. That's all she did. And I learned my scales inside out because she made it fun. So it's not only a question, like there's a huge range. It's not just yes. a question of whether you're doing formal teaching and learning. That doesn't mean you have to put on your stuffy shirt and your and your unhappy mm. and do it, you know? Mm. So geez, I, I can't get over it though. I thought you were gonna say the ruler over the hand and the thing you said was cats. So it's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's reeling right now. And you didn't <laughs> Piano. I mean, geez. and you did like piano. Well, thanks for talking with us, Chris. We're, yeah. I think we're done here. This <laughs> yeah. <old>. Bye. <laughs> so, okay. So, let's talk now about. You've talked how you transitioned from those lessons that you didn't enjoy at a very young age to where you mm. started loving it. So, where does that take you in terms of like how does that journey go from that to the guy who was writing songs and looking like seeking out bands to the guy who went into music education and and beyond? Yeah. Like in terms yeah. of what you for sure. So that kind of model of jamming continued and continued i had a really great group of friends through church that I, we just played and jammed and it was just amazing and then i was playing at school i did music for an elective subject general music in australia is, is an elective subject so you choose your instrument you do your your instrument you do a performance um do composition and sort of a musicology analysis task as well did all that and always loved the idea of teaching uh was interested in teaching sports because of the soccer background but just did started a teaching degree got into that and it was a general teaching degree and realized i really wanted to be studying music as well so i found a different degree and changed universities so that i could do music education business and yeah those those three music education and business and major was kind music of just, at this point Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So major music, minor business with an education sort of 
is like a double degree double essentially. Minor. So did did that, and in that process, that's where the formal stuff started. So even to get on the music degree, I had to show that I could do grade five or six theory, um, and did that, and sort of just did a, a lot of it self-taught, a couple of lessons as well. But through university, that's where I really honed a lot of the formal skills. Well, let me guess, um, in, this was in Australia, or yes, this is okay. Australia. Yeah, whereabouts? That's where I say again. Where, where, which, which city? Just north of Sydney, so in between Sydney and Newcastle on the east coast. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Nice. So I was introduced to sort of formal analysis and a lot of Western classical harmony. Um, and my degree was a music and education degree, but I had to do a recital, and my main instrument was the electric bass, but the lecturers there, there was no real kind of syllabus for the electric bass so i had to go and find all of my pieces and what i was going to play so i got into jaco pastorius and victor wooten and stanley you Clark had to make this up yourself is, this, is your point you yeah. had to make your own test basically had to make up my own program yeah i mean there was a program for the recital but they didn't really know what to suggest how to fit the bit what's crazy That's about great. that I'm, I'm jumping around a little here but we just did a couple of episodes on jazz basically focusing on swing becoming bebop and then bebop becoming everything after that cool and all that but one of the things that was really interesting was um ron carter the bassist who played with miles davis and well mm -hmm. about three thousand other else about three thousand <laughs> other people he <laughs> He um he was saying that that everybody back in his day when he was in school studied classical music and they, you know, they just that was the only option. It wasn't like everybody thought, let's start here and then we'll move into jazz. There was no option for studying jazz. It didn't yeah. there was no jazz program. So yeah. what's crazy to me is he's talking about like the 40s into the 50s. You're talking about the what, 2000s. The 2000s. He's mm. yeah. right. Like, I mean, what was cool later. about my course was that yeah typically it was a, a western sort of classical style degree but they were super open to to having me do what i really wanted to do so that was great because i i could play in the orchestra and do upright bass and practice you know my bowing and orchestral playing on one side but then for my recitals i could still play electric bass and do all my crazy techniques and exploring all that stuff so it was actually really cool in that sense that it was a very open degree it's just something, that I had to build it. There's something fun about that, about like, okay, so it's limited, but if if somebody out there is willing to say, and therefore, let's see where we can take this. Yeah. You know, we can run with it. It's it's I've had that in teaching experiences a lot of times, especially years ago when I was teaching at really small schools that I was starting the music program. So I was like, Well, so what kind of program do you want? Well, a music one. Go. <laughs> that was it, you know? Yeah. And I can make it whatever whatever I wanted, basically, as long as the kids were learning, as long as we were moving things forward. And it was a lot of people say that must have been so much work. Well, and it would be easy to hit a wall if you were if you were if you were, you know, if you're sure. in that situation, you know, well, the yeah. first time I ever taught music was in Venezuela. And I had, I think, 20 sets of drumsticks, uh, pairs of drumsticks. That was the music program that I walked into. <laughs> so they played on the nice. desks for a while. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say chair drumming for sure. They, yeah, they to they totally learned the rudiments, but yeah, I just found it really exciting. So people said it must have been a lot of work, and I was like, I mean, I could mm. say, yeah, it's a lot of work. <laughs> right, it was awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a great yeah, opportunity. It was still a lot of work, and it was fun. Yeah, because yeah. it's fun. That's the thing about work, right? If you love it, it doesn't feel like work. Yeah, yeah. 
totally so you got out of you got out of uh university with your with your uh senses intact and then yeah yeah i did and as part of the final recital i essentially wrote my own album which was the album i shared with you guys um yes. which was an exploration of the bass and that's what i titled it because that's kind of what my degree experience was in the end it was really just take it wherever i wanted and explore it and uh and alongside that i was teaching individual bass lessons to sort of pay pay my way through university and then working in studios so i was starting to work um as a session musician nice. which was great because i'd explored the bass in such breadth that i was getting called up for all sorts of different gigs and that and was really variety, interesting the variety of what you did like some of that stuff sounded very sort of Indian, uh, you know, Asian influenced music. And then the, like the next song, it goes into this song. And I was like, that is like really cool sort of quote unquote pop song, you know? And yeah. you know what I mean, it was like a huge difference. You just had a lot of breadth, totally. Like mm. within, from one song to the next, I was like, I liked both of them a lot, but what I loved was the variety from one to the other. That was really cool. Mm. Yeah, cool. And I guess this theme is probably a long story to answer the question, which is how did I sort of get to this beginner orchestra thing, which I'm probably going to skip a whole bunch of stuff here, but the whole approach to the beginner orchestra model is really to provide a really broad experience to students that are playing in a large ensemble. And we just so happen to call it orchestra, but what, what the aim of that concept is, is to have students play music together, throw everyone in a room, and play some great music that we can all perform together that's differentiated so there's some really easy stuff and there's some more advanced stuff and we all have a good time doing it so from my kind of early influences of all these different ideas and the kind of freedom that we spoke about that's definitely informed my approach to uh being an orchestra but there is a whole kind of other chapter of pedagogy in my experience as a teacher that also leads to it yeah, I mean, in, given the the amount of time that we're talking about in this episode, we're not going to be able to go into the type of detail that you might go into in a workshop with people talking about this, you know. But I do, I do love now. I I think I have a really clear understanding of how you even saw this possibility. You saw the need, and then thought we can do this, you know, hmm. you know, because those things that you talked about, like dad yelling over your shoulder or you being able to put Jacko into a, a university program when it didn't exist, you know, <laughs> like those yeah. kinds of things. Um, okay. So why don't we then sort of jump ahead? You started the music teachers in international schools, which uh, I remember seeing on LinkedIn a long time ago and thinking, Oh my goodness, like that is exactly what I want to be a part of. Cause it's what I do. Like that's very sort of, it felt niche, but it's grown quickly actually. Mm. How long have you been at that, by the way? Technically, since last June, so June 2022. Mm -hmm. mm. Okay. The seeds of it started much earlier, um, yeah. but yeah, it's it's quite fresh in that sense. It stems from my current PhD that I'm doing. Okay. So my PhD is looking at music educators in the international school context. And it's looking at what is international schooling and how does music education fit in that world? Yeah. Uh, and I'm sort of halfway through that PhD. And as part of that, I just 
you know, I, I already knew I was interested in this topic, but the the process of doing the PhD really accelerated some of my thinking about how I could create this community that was needed. And I, I really recognized that as a teacher. So I worked for 11 years in an international school for three years in Argentina and then eight years in Malaysia as a head of music. And I just experienced this sense of isolation. And I define that isolation as geographic isolation. You know, often we're in these far-flung countries. Um, maybe we've moved to that country or the the school itself has just popped up in a an area because of, you know, some usually economic reason. Maybe there's like a factory and they need to support that factory, whatever it is. But there's that sort of geographic isolation. And then there's a sense of curricular isolation in international schools where music is often kind of like you said, Jeremy, it's sort of like, hey, make a music program. Just here's some money, do it. And you're like, oh, okay. But people want it, but they don't really care that much. You know, it's there. We want it in the curriculum, but eh, at the end of the day, there's some other priorities that we have in mind. So those two things, I was like, there's a community that is experiencing these two forms of isolation that need a place to connect and resolve that and communicate and share and find that solidarity. And that seems to be what's happening. And like you said, it's, it's kind of grown very quickly and some really nice interaction. Chris, is there, a, is there a cultural isolation as well in those two places that you were in? In other words, I, I guess maybe in Argentina, the, uh, the local music scene would be fairly well developed. What about in, in, in Malaysia? Like what, are, what was the, the local scene in terms of like being able to uh, utilize what you had locally? Are you talking uh, as a um, musician of, or as a teacher? Well, as a teacher in, in, in being able to build your program and, and, and maybe have that program somehow connected with the, with the, uh, with the local culture. Mm. It really depends on the individual, I think. And this is what has come up a lot in my podcast interviews and in my research interviews is that it really depends on the individual. And that's what makes it difficult because if you go, if you, if you've moved to the country, so like me as an Australian moving to Malaysia, I am new to that place and yeah. I have to make those connections, but there's plenty of Malaysians working in international schools who have those connections straight away. So for me, yes, there was that sense of isolation that I had to overcome. Same in Argentina, but um, international schooling has changed a lot in that there are plenty of, of local teachers working in those institutions that are leveraging their localness and doing some amazing things. Yeah. I was thinking in terms of, I guess now that I've formulated the thought a little more is that it's two things i mean one one is that they've just thrown this at you and said here create a program and the second thing is is what's there for what's there already for infrastructure as far as music studies go you know and can you tap into that i guess that's mm. sort of what I was getting at sure are you thinking in terms of the say the state school system the universities yeah the and, and, the, and the local music institutions yeah, stuff like that. Mm. Like, what's what's there already as as a as a sort of a jumping pad? Yeah, interesting. In Argentina, it was there wasn't a lot that I remember connecting with at all. I was very school centric. I was just focused on my little world, and that could have been because it was very new to me. But in Malaysia, there's so much going on. You know, there's tons of musicians and lots of institutions and university programs, and you know, there's a Philharmonic Orchestra. It's the only were you in KL? Or? In, yeah, in KL, yeah. Um, only country in Southeast Asia with an auditioned Philharmonic Orchestra. Nice. Um, 
which is bizarre. Yeah. And all the programs that would sort of feed in and around that. Um, some cool jazz clubs. The only problem for me, uh, you know, teacher life, they, the gig would say 10 p.m. and I'd rock up at 10 p.m. and they wouldn't start till 1 a.m. and I'd just be <laughs> dead. Yeah. So I never really make those. <laughs> but not, only, some great stuff. not only that, but there's also the limitation of like if you're in a country where not a lot of people speak English and you don't speak the local language. Like in when I, I mentioned Venezuela before, when I was in Venezuela, I speak Spanish. So I was able to go meet musicians. I, I have family there. So I was like at my cousin's house playing guitar. And he said, oh, I invited a friend over who's going to play, uh, who's going to play charango. And I was like, what's that? <laughs> you know, mm. like, you know, that guy's in my classroom showing people the charango, you know, or, or I mean, the boss would be Venezuelan, but yeah, you know what I mean? And that's something that kind of has to happen in my opinion, in international schooling, no matter who you are, if you're teaching music in a different context to your home country, you've got to make those connections because there's so much richness there. And uh, again, it, we had a lot of Argentine teachers in the school in Argentina that did some amazing um, like folklore and um, cumbia and uh, yeah. reggaeton stuff. They would come in and do some really interesting stuff. Um, and same, you know, in Malaysia, <clears throat> we we had the same. We were really tapping into Jogat Gamelan and some fantastic local music. So it's got to be done. That's cool. Gamelan. I lived in Sumatra for only a year, unfortunately. But my daughter and I, we were able to go and study with a gamelan troupe. And we like learned about not only the instruments, but also the the puppets that they use. And I loved learning about that stuff. And then um, the connections between that. And do you know the song In C? It's by Terry Riley. Basically, it's, it's a, a song that was written in the 60s. Basically, they took the concepts of gamelan. You know, gamelan uh, is basically little snippets of musical pieces that can be then put together in a very sort of random way, you know, <laughs> to create these really interesting pieces of music. And Ellie and I had gone and learned about all this. So when I then went back to school, I was like, guess what we're doing, guys? <laughs> about in C, because it's literally in the key of C, one to four bars of music that you can play kind of in any order you want yeah so right. I, had, I had my students learn those little patterns they're they're learning about reading notes they're learning about reading timing and then i took all of that and plugged each of their little sequences into just garage band and then i mm. created an in c um of our own so those kinds of connections they can open doors that it wasn't even a, a thing that was on my radar yeah, and it became a big part of our um, not only just the theory part, but the songwriting, composition, and arranging. Even even sonically, you know, for students to hear the tone of the different elements of the gamelan and to think differently about how they might put sounds together and be like, oh, if I'm composing even like an EDM piece or something, and I want to come up with a different sound, why don't I sample some gamelan tone? Well, I guess it's kind of out of tune-ish, right? Like that's intentionally out of tune from itself. How, maybe I can sample some of that and then put that. It just opens up a whole tonic, uh, sorry, a whole sonic spectrum for, for students when they experience these other instruments. Absolutely. And it's it's like synapse forming. Yeah, and then there's the whole other thing just briefly with gamelan in that, you know, Malaysian gamelan and Indonesian gamelan, like the one you referenced is completely different and has a completely different purpose from each other. 
Oh, um, interesting. Which is that's... another whole rabbit hole to go yeah, down, you know? That's amazing. The, the history of why that's happened. And yeah, it's really cool. Yes, I love it. I love it. And I think that opportunity that we have is so cool to... Well, that's it. It's exactly, it's an opportunity and it's it's there. And we don't have to pretend we we're experts at it by any means, but just, you know, bringing it in, exploring it, our students probably don't care that much, to be honest. You know, it's really interesting in international schools and this whole culturally diverse music thing. We think, oh, I'm at a school in Malaysia. My Malaysian students want to play gamelan. No, they don't. <laughs> they have all the influences of globalization on them. All they want to do is listen to whatever they want to listen to. But it's, you know, it's there. So let's, you know, let's explore it. Let's think about it. Let's experience it. Just like myself in Australia with the Australian music that that's here oh, the indigenous right. australian music mm. um yeah so i think that's another interesting discussion point when you were um when you were in malaysia versus argentina did you find that the uh i mean how much how much outreach was there at the international schools but in terms of like um you know because it seemed it sounds I mean, like there were a lot more yeah because it sounds like there was a lot more going on sort of uh, uh, musically in in KL than maybe what you were experiencing in Argentina is that is that fair? Or? I think it's par partly to do with how long I spent in Malaysia. So okay. because I was there eight years, I really was thoroughly immersed. The other thing is in Argentina, I think as uh, one of you referenced earlier, the language barrier for me was there. I yep. I learned Spanish, which was amazing, and I can still fumble my way through a conversation, which is great. So that was probably a barrier but we definitely went to a ton of gigs a lot more gigs in argentina because there was just a lot more happening kind of in the streets and in i guess around the touristy areas there was always music like tango in the streets and all that kind of stuff which is very touristy but it was all there and um there was a lot happening but i just wasn't there as long and i was probably a little less immersed and did that affect your did that experience affect your playing as well Mm, I mean, probably not to in, in terms of like you know because there's I'm I'm sure the way they play bass in Argentina is a little bit different. Yeah. Probably, eh? <laughs> it's a really good question. Interestingly, though, I I probably played I played a lot in Argentina, but we did a lot of school gigs, which were always very Western style. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like musicals, and we do jazz gigs and all sorts of stuff. I didn't play a lot in Argentina. I'm wondering if it did filter through because yeah, some of like the tango bass playing or some of the folklore stuff uh, was really cool. Yeah, but I'm not sure if I felt it come out a lot in my playing. That's a really good question. I'm gonna have to and is play it, and then. Think the other thing is, is it is it the way they play there in 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 a lot of um, Latin America on bass is is quite a bit further up the neck. You know, mm. hear a lot more. You know. That rhythmic stuff and up the neck and yeah dad has always been really into latin stuff so part of the jamming was always pulling out some of those standard right. kind of latin pieces from the real book yeah. and so i did learn quite early some of that high neck playing and just the the one five sort of but you know you're right there is a there is a totally different technique sometimes in these different places i was just wondering because i, I mean in malaysia you're probably getting a lot more of the you know my guess would be you're getting a, educationally you're getting a lot more of the straight ahead western stuff 
but in Argentina, maybe I don't know. I've never been there, so I don't. I have no idea. I've got no no context. The cool thing, yeah. The cool thing about Malaysia, though, is yes, you do tend to get the West is best Western music coming mm. straight at you, but you have the influence of three really interesting ethnicities coming in: the Indian South right. Indian immigration, the the Chinese immigration, and the Malay Malay thing. So they all have their own influences on the music scene, which is really yeah. Cool. yeah. I would love to get to now if we can. I'm I'm jumping a little, but I'm just considering time. Mm -hmm. You know, I would love to talk about the beginner orchestra a bit more. Really, this is coming from my perspective as a teacher. Like, I guess my questions would be: when I first read about it, I was like, so wait, if I I don't know if this is exactly how it works, but if I said I want to do take five with my class, can I contact you guys and say, I'd love to do that, but I have like this beginner book that doesn't really translate to what I'm looking for. I have this advanced book that my kids couldn't really access. Can you guys help me out with the arrangement of that specific song? Is that part of what you do? Or is it just like you have a set amount of, of compositions that we can choose from? And then you'll tweak sort of the the um the, the levels of ability. The answer is both. So one of the things we offer is bespoke <laughs> tailored compositions for schools. Um, and bespoke. so we can do that in a number. I like of, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, we do that in a number of ways. Either you can give us like a piano vocal, and we'll we'll score it out. Um, we have a team of six that that work on the the platform. So you have that option of of basically contacting us and having a conversation about what you want and we talk about it and, and make it happen. We've done that a bunch of times for international schools and other, others as well, mainly in the UK. But the other thing that we offer is pretty much what you said. We have now 21 original compositions. Original, that, okay. Yeah, nice. completely original compositions that cover a real broad spectrum of styles, hence the kind of stories earlier. Mm -hmm. And the the object of those pieces is, like I said, to get everyone in the room playing. So you've got wind, you've got so you've got uh, yeah, woodwind, brass, percussion, strings, like a symphonic orchestra, plus ukulele, guitar, bass, piano, and a whole stack of percussion, and that's all within the score and parts. Um, and then if you need, we can condense that score for you. So if you're like, I don't need these things, you just let us know. And we just chop all them out and give you what you need. But essentially you get that, you get studio quality guide tracks for every instrument. So your students can take that and play. And then we have each section as a YouTube video for students to play along with. So you can just share links with them and they can practice at home. Fantastic. That's amazing. Um, yeah. And the, the pieces have been a bit of a hit. We've had tons of schools using them and really enjoying them. Um, we all really have enjoyed writing and we have essentially like a, a plat uh, what would I call it? Like a pro forma, I guess, of how we write the pieces, which you can actually find on the website. Okay. Um, so the ranges we aim for, we usually write in either C or G major, which is good for the strings, not as great for the, the woodwinds and brass, but they're going to learn a few extra notes and it's not, they're not hard parts necessarily. So they'll survive. And we also have differentiation in there. So usually in the flute part, we'll have like an easy flute and a advanced flute. In the mm -hmm. strings, we'll have an easy, intermediate, advanced. So we have some differentiated parts within the score. So you can throw it around the, the room and get people playing. To me, what you're describing right now is super exciting because I do all that here myself. Yeah. So we use yeah. Logic Pro, Ableton, MuseScore, GarageBand, like whatever whatever tools are 
available to us. But I had studied all of that. I know the range of a cello, but then I didn't really know and understand the range of a beginner cello player. Like, what is unreasonable to ask a kid who's mm. just a cello for the first time? Oh, just play up here. Just, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, of course, like some of those things I've learned, you know, some instruments, it's better to write with sharps, whereas like keys that use sharps as opposed to flats, right? Yeah. Don't look at the sax yep. player and say F sharp. <laughs> <laughs> so those kinds of things. So what you're talking about, it's like suddenly I can basically become part of that music department team that I dream of being a part of because I can mm. send you this piece. I want to do this piece because it fits for the event that we're doing, but I can't find the right arrangement as much as I search. So I have yeah. to take the... And it's too much work to go into it yourself. That's it. So I, I go on a Muse score, like we have our account for that. I go and I find the song, but it's As It Was by Harry Styles. And there's really not that much choice for the arrangement. So I spend my weekend arranging that song to include four-part harmony on the on the choir, the cello, the violin, all that stuff, right? Yeah. So I spend my weekend doing that. But I could say, you guys, here's my vision for this song. Here's when I need it by, it's like within sometimes 48 hours or something like that. Is that correct? So, so if you're buying one of our original pieces and you need extra parts, that's within 24 to 48 hours. We can just do that oh, okay. very yeah. quickly for you. If it's a bespoke arrangement, um, we just worked it out with you. So if you have a deadline, um, <laughs> do you hate that word or do you? Actually I love it. it? No, you know, I love you, it. We like, absolutely <laughs> love it. We're just super silly. So it's great. I, I should have you before. It's we, the way uh, it should like be, it, like man. It. We're, be, we're it, being girl. super restrained right now. <laughs> we're very silly people. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> um, anyway. Yeah. So we just work it. So any one that comes to us, we have a Zoom call like this and we talk about it. We take notes and work out what you need and then say, okay, talk to the team. We can get this to you in a week or you might say, I need it by this day. Is that possible? We'll quote you because we do usually like an hourly rate mm -hmm. um, and then you can work out how that fits and we go from there. Um, but that's, that is where the idea for both of these two parts of the platform came from because we were the same. We, uh, you know, I used to spend hours and hours doing this I was like, why isn't someone just making stuff for us so that we can actually not spend seven hours on a Saturday arranging whatever piece or writing a piece? Yeah. So I mean, that's part of it, I, I should explain that I actually love doing that. Of course. Yeah. It's yeah. just yeah. when I have five classes worth of that and I have the weekend to do it, then suddenly. I don't know what you're complaining about, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> no and i totally hear you, jeremy like 100 percent. most teachers are like i want to i want to do it i want to do it because i love it and that's yeah. great like we want to encourage that 100 percent. i guess it just gives people an option if they're just completely snowed yeah. under and that's just, that's need it. something off the shelf i'll get grab one of these i wouldn't i wouldn't stop doing it because <laughs> i love that it tailor fits for my students based on all of the things that you described and because i love doing it right it's, yeah. it's even if I wasn't, even if I weren't doing it for work, I still do it as a hobby. We were talking about this in the elevator on the way up here, actually, yeah. that I just, so cool. I do it because it's like a hobby anyway. Mm. Um, hey, I, I wanted to maybe ask you one one question that I've been dying to ask you. And uh, it's it's got to do with, you said, uh, research-based on your, on your website. And that's a great way to let people know that they can trust what you're doing and everything like that. Can you explain a little bit about that and, and go into that a little bit? Um, you're referring to beginner orchestra being. I 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 On your website, you, you mentioned that, that it's research-based techniques and, and, uh, and whatnot. So I just wondering if you, I I hope I'm not putting you on the spot here. (laughs) No, I mean, essentially it is, um, I mean, you could approach that word research from two angles. One is we're all trained musicians and we've all composed a lot and some of the team are trained composers and that's literally all they do. So they have, you know, we have all researched to some extent, the things that kind of Jeremy was saying, like what range is great for, and, and we've read the research on um, what ranges are great. And we've read, you know, we've, we've analyzed piece after piece. And there's actually a really great term that describes this, which I'm going to quickly grab. Um, where are you? Uh, there's a scholar here in Australia called Jim Coyle, works at the University of Sydney um, at the conservatorium here. And he calls this polytechnicality, which sounds very fancy, but essentially it's this idea of, and it came from Benjamin Britten's work, um, Ooh, nice. who did this for a living. He would write polytechnical pieces where he was arranging for professional musicians and children and recorder players. And he did he basically did a whole catalog of this stuff. And yeah. so we've we've looked into polytechnicality and what that means and how we might approach it. And so that kind of informs really what we do. And then the other element of the research is, you know, research is can be qualitative, right? And discussion-based. And we've talked to a ton of teachers about what they want and what they don't want. And Mm -hmm. that has fed into the product over years of testing. So we've built the project four years ago. So it's been slowly being refined and refined and we've thrown out some pieces and we've rejigged all the pieces and added things. And so I guess our own process of qualitative study, talking to people has informed some of it. Yeah, and then from that, from that point now you've gotten to the to the uh to the beginner programs that you're doing and is there a is there a long-term longer term uh place that you want to go with this Mm. yeah um we've got two things kind of happening one is we're pairing with a company which is going to integrate an assessment platform into the tool so students can we uh, someone can uh, subscribe to this platform so all of our pieces will be in an app and you can share that with your class of kids and they can see their part on their ipad or whatever and they play along with their part with a with a track and after they finish playing with it it gives them real-time feedback on tempo and pitch nice there's a company called match my sound which owns this software and they're working with a whole bunch of people like music first uh, rsl awards which is the rock school platform fender their power, their software powers a whole bunch of things. Oh, okay, I see. So, oh, Noteflight as well. Noteflight has it. Noteflight, okay. Do you use Noteflight, the notation software? No, should uh, I? It's be... like Muse. It's like MuseScore, but it's just like an alternative. It's quite cool. Okay, yeah. I mean, the way I was doing it previously was in literally in GarageBand. I would play them in, um, so that it would notate for me, and then I would correct it. But then the the lengths you have to go through when you wave the baton. <laughs> And I'm looking at five pages, whereas Muse, where I can look at it line by line, bar by bar, all lined up, you know, but actually for me, that was a breakthrough. (laughs) The stuff that you're talking about, it's like, I feel like there are two things. One, it could continue with what I think is really strong program for the kids and also alleviate some of the stress of when I've got more parts to arrange than I can handle in the Mm. time that I have, right? Mm. But also, I feel like the second part, the parts that I still do myself, I could learn so much from what you guys then 
send. Like if I say mm -hmm. to you the take five example, right? You guys send me something. I go, oh my goodness, I hadn't thought of those possibilities. So the next song that I do, Watermelon Man, Herbie Hancock, I go, I'm going to apply what you guys did to my own work. You know, it's, it's also yeah. a little bit of professional development in a way, which I know you have a hand in, in doing and partaking in a lot of workshops and things like that. Yep. But I think what you're offering here ties in so clearly in my mind to professional development unto itself. Hmm. Yeah. I yeah, don't know. That, you... That's a, that's a cool point. I hadn't actually thought about it from that angle. Um, yeah. And cause like you said, I've been doing some workshops. They'll often be just literally introducing the platform and we have a play with the pieces and that kind of thing. And we talk a bit about the arrangements, but I hadn't thought really about just the product itself being a learning tool. That's cool. Yeah. Well, maybe that's another avenue that you later on or something could, could mm. explore is how you could use it in that way. You know, I don't know, you could build it into some specifically professional development for people like myself who are trying to get better and better at arranging for a variety of levels. Mm, nice point taken. I'm going <laughs> to. <laughs> so we're getting close to the end here. Is there anything that you wanted to add uh, from your side? We, we've been doing a lot of the talking ourselves. Maybe you'd like to throw something in there that you haven't had a chance to, uh, to talk about. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing just on the beginner orchestra idea that I wanted to mention was one of the impetuses for it was uh, creating big orchestras because it's often hard to find pieces that everyone can play in. So the great thing about these pieces too, is you can get your advanced players playing the advanced parts, which aren't that advanced, but you can get you, you know, if you're in a larger school, you can build out a really nice big ensemble. So we like, we like that as well. Um, but no, I think the, the only other point from my side is that, we, we love getting feedback as well about the pieces and continuing to improve them. And that's what's going to keep making the, the product better. So yeah, if anyone's listening to it and wants to have a look at the pieces and give us some feedback on them, how they might suit your school better or what you know you think might be missing or there might be too much of something, whatever, um, we'd love to hear that. Yeah, that's awesome. So Chris, I have, I have links and I just want to make sure that I'm posting in the description for this in our podcast, mm. YouTube, um, the correct links. So people can can scroll down and click on the correct thing. The only other thing I might mention about the professional development side of things is that that's another thing that I offer, which is um, a few professional development opportunities. And that's on my personal website, uh, which is chriscorma.com. Especially my latest um, offering, which I'm just starting this week, which is um, leadership, music department leadership coaching. So I have... Mm one-to-one -one coaching opportunity for music department leaders. Yeah, I, I've seen some of the things in your podcast. I would highly recommend listening to the podcast as well. It's a video uh, podcast that you do as well. Some of the stuff, as a music teacher in international schools, it's like very specific to things that I love to learn about. But some of the stuff was really interesting from a lot of perspectives for people who don't teach music at all. Mm. No. And uh, kudos to you for, uh, I mean, your musical journey was was well explained. And I, I know there's probably a lot more to it than, than what we talked about, but well done for uh, coming up with something uh, that teachers are going to be able to utilize. I think it's very needed and very well thought out. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's been a really, it's been a really fun journey, you know, like, like you were saying 
I love arranging and writing this music, you know, even when I was teaching full time, it was, it was a pain sometimes, but it was a joy as well. So yeah. it's really nice to be able to offer that and for people to be able to use it. Pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. I think that's what they said, eh? Something like I that. Like it. I yeah. like it. <laughs> it strikes the core with a lot of people. I think that's why it's grown so quickly. Like I said, when I first heard about this, I was like, wow, that is like super niche thought. But like, it is. It's, it's super Seth Godin. Right. It's, that's his thing. Find your smallest viable audience. Find your niche. That's what yeah. you've done. And it, it is interesting because it is so niche. And I was kind of worried at first. Like, is, there, is anyone going to even care about this? And then I was like, no, I, I cared about it. And mm -hmm. so if there's at least one other person that cared about it when I cared about it, then that well, we do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and there's been more. And, you know, there's research in, from ISC research suggests there's 13,000 international schools in the world now. Um, so there's at least potentially 13,000 people plus more in departments. So there's, there's people out there. It's not a massive niche, but there's, there's definitely a crew of us out there doing Hey, that's, that brings up a question, but what about the music programs back home and whatnot? Yeah, this has been really interesting. So I have literally not marketed strategically to Australia. Basically I haven't marketed anywhere outside of the international school connections that I've had. And we've been getting people, especially in the UK and especially community orchestras. So, you know, mixed age, mixed ability orchestras in, you know, your local town are playing the stuff and same in Australia. And, and then I've got a, a conference that I'm going to, there's, there's more and more interest happening here. The main sticking point that I get from very established systems is this band strings dichotomy. They never the two shall meet sort of thing which is totally fine like i get why you mean and that so you mean in public schools or in 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 those kinds of situations they're separating out the the woodwinds and the and the brass and then also the strings is they're that... usually separating out, separating out the the wind so the brass and the woodwind separate and strings separate and that, oh, that happens in international schools as well yeah can you guys tell me what the reason for that is it doesn't make much sense to me the splitting of the two yeah there's a lot of tradition behind it, which we could go way back, but essentially it, as far as I have understood, it's a keys thing, which we talked about earlier, where wind and brass instruments tend to want to play at the beginner level in flats and strings tend to want to be in G major or D major. And so at the beginner level, you want your kids playing those first three, four, five notes in those keys. But that does that mean that in the beginning it's like that and then they merge later or they just never never the twain shall meet well that's what happened that's my understanding is that what tends to happen then is they never meet or mm -hmm. it can be very easy for them to never meet because you just stay in a band program forever and you get very comfortable in flat keys um, yeah or in sharp keys if you're in the strings so yeah. hmm, i think there's pros and cons yeah yeah. Okay. Well, very, very interesting then. So, mm. so, so there's the, there's a possibility or at least even some interest already uh, in the uh, non-international school uh, marketplace as well for yeah. like what yeah, there really is. I can, yep. I, I can see how that would be, it's not location based, right? So it's, it's just about that, whether or not the teacher would have the freedom and the budget um, to be able to do it. Exactly. And I think what it was, was that I, my connections, especially in the Asian region around international schools, everyone was doing the same as me, where we just, well, most, especially in the English or the British style international schools, we just throw everyone in a room and, and get playing. And so that was the, the niche again. So expanding out of that, 
it just has to kind of be natural. Whoever's doing it can pick it up and, and run with it. We do have to wrap up pretty soon just because we're going to run out of time. But I, um, it occurs to me, I teach choir as well. Um, is that one of the options if I just said I want a choir arrangement for a given existing song? Um, yes. In short, yes. We haven't done many um, at all. We haven't had the request much, I think, because the website is called Beginner Orchestra. But um, <laughs> so people just don't uh-huh. even think about it. <laughs> Maybe it's Beginner Ensemble. <laughs> yes. I have thought about that a few times. Maybe I should just change it to something totally different. But anyway, mm. it, it's working for now. But yeah, um, for sure more than happy to talk about it and we have yeah we have been approached and we've done a couple of them i want to say thank you very much it's 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 too bad we've only got an hour i could talk to you all day it's been really nice guys thanks for the chat and yeah for the interest and let's just keep in touch and yeah i'd love to keep in touch and see what we're all doing hey thanks so much for uh, for taking the time to chat with us and hopefully chatting again and at least helping you get the word out because i think it's really a an, an awesome service that you're doing thanks thanks leon thanks jeremy yeah Really, uh, really appreciate that. Appreciate you guys taking the time to listen and to investigate the various things we're doing. And yeah, let's definitely have another chat and explore some more areas. We look forward to seeing where it grows into as well. Keep it up. Thanks so much, guys. All right. Take care, Chris. See ya. All right. Bye-bye. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Good night.